back around November, uh, I hurt myself running. I got a, a hamstring pull and then I did something to my sciatic nerve at the same time. And it was just excruciatingly painful. I went to uh, physical therapy for a while, tried to run on it, was really, really painful. Uh, finally got to the point where I could run just a little bit, and then I just kind of lost my motivation. Uh, the winter around here is a little bit hard for me because I need to run outside. I can only run in the morning, and if it doesn't get light until 7.45, and it's drizzly and 32 degrees, it's hard to get motivated if then your leg hurts too. So I got kind of demotivated for a while, and I kept, I went for a longer period in my life without running than I have ever gone before. And then I got to the point where, where it was bearable to be on the leg, but I was like, uh, it's kind of wet outside, uh, it's kind of dark, I don't, I don't really want to do this. And then I got this existential crisis because at the core of myself, I'm like, I'm a runner and runners run. It's even in my Gmail. I'm like, I'm gonna have to change my Gmail address if I don't start running. And then I was out probably about two weeks ago because I feel good enough to be out again. And I just decided to run. I wasn't dressed to run, I was out for a walk, and I'm like, I just wanna run. And so I ran, and as I ran, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember now why I love this. I remember why I don't want to give up running. I remember how it makes me feel, I remember who I am when I run. And now I just have to keep remembering that that I love to run, and I love who I am when I run. But it's still a bit of a challenge. So just keep reminding myself, remember that moment when you remembered how much you love to run. And I have to remember it because otherwise I forget it. And that sounds pretty obvious, but it's where we live a lot, isn't it? We forget that if we have the third drink, we get ugly and do things that we regret later. We forget that basic human decency goes a long way. We forget that when we check in regularly with God that we have more peace in our lives. And so we need to remember. We need to remember who we want to be. We need to remember who we are. And that's the second half of Psalm 137. That's what it calls us to. So we read, we read the first part last week, and today we're going to dive into verse 5 and following. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So there's this change that happens between these two halves of the psalm, change that occurs between verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 asks the question, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And then all of a sudden, the next verse says, what if I forget you, Jerusalem? So most scholars think that this part of the psalm was actually written later. That the first part of the psalm was written and the people actually were in Babylon. There's a school of thought that says it's just two different verb tenses that were used. But most people think that the first part was written during the exile of Babylon. And now we've moved to maybe a dozen years later and people are back and they're in the land again. And they're asking a different question now. So something has happened 
And the something that has happened is that they learned something between verse 4 and verse 5. And what they learned was the, the exile that they experienced, they didn't want to let that happen again. They're not going to make that mistake again. And so they want to reinforce the lesson. Otherwise, they're going to forget it. So have you ever watched somebody make the same mistake over and over again? I mean, maybe they, they date abusive men or they date women that need to be rescued. And you look at them and you go, do you never learn? And so that's what this psalm is getting at. We want to learn. Well, Israel learned. And that's what's reflected in this. So verses 5 and 6 are kind of, we're going to remember what happened in the past so that we can keep that from happening again. And so when the, ta- when the psalmist talks about Jerusalem, he's really talking about focus. Because Jerusalem is really not just about the city itself, it's about what it represents. Jerusalem is where God dwells with his people. Jerusalem is the center of worship. Jerusalem is the place where he found, the psalmist found his identity in God. And so this is a commitment to find his identity in God so that he never ends up in the place of exile again. So for the psalmist, after the exile, Jerusalem remains the source of their identity. That connection to God and God's people is the source of their identity. What would you say is the source of your identity? So the psalm is talking about ordering our life around God. What would you say you order your life around? And in the psalm, what they've learned is that whatever is the source of their identity, whatever they order their lives around, that's going to produce certain things in their lives. And it's the same for us. If alcohol is the source of your identity, that's going to lead you to a certain place. If the need to be popular or the need to always be having a good time is where you find your identity, that's going to lead you in a certain place and a certain direction. And unfortunately, where so many of those roads leads is to a lack of peace, a lack of hope, and finally realizing that we're back in exile. Uh, Megan and I have been re-watching Downton Abbey. We watched it when it was out the first time, and now we're just kind of watching it again. And there is this character who's only in the first season that I I hate everything about. Um, It's O'Brien, who is Lady Grantham's mate. She has no redeeming features whatsoever. And in the season finale, um, it it gets a little bit more complicated. She does some really terrible things based on some misperceptions. And at at the, the moment of the worst thing that she has ever done, she catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror. And it startles her. And she looks at herself in the mirror and says, this is not who I am. And she goes back and tries to change what she has just done, but it's too late. But it's the only moment where I like the character. Because it's this stark moment of all of a sudden waking up and realizing, I am not who I want to be. This is not who I am. And the psalmist didn't want to end up like that again. He wanted to find his identity in God. He wanted to be who he really was, not who sometimes he ended up being. Paul uses language for us about this. 
He talks about how we find our identity in Christ. And Paul uses it almost as like a geographic location. I mean, he talks about it literally, you know, like you get picked up from Gig Harbor and you get set down in Christ. Uh, that you're located in this new place where you find your existence, you find your identity, you find your, the source of who you are there. Being in Christ the source of our identity, knowing that we're a child of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that God has a plan for our lives, that he's leading us somewhere, that we get to participate with him in the redemption of the world by living our faith authentically. That's what happens when we find our identity, when we find the source of who we are in Christ instead of in any other ways that we might find it. Maybe you realize that you're no longer finding your identity in Christ. Maybe what you need to do is remember what it was like when you were walking close to God. Maybe you need to catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and go, I am not who I want to be. And then commit to going back and remembering who you once were in Christ. And remember what the most important things are. I think when I'm thinking about most important things and about clarity, I think about some of the things that we've learned over the past few years. During this pandemic, we got so focused on what was the most important things. We only did two or three things, but we focused on them. We wanted to give people hope. We wanted to take care of people's needs. We wanted to do outreach into the community. And we did other things too, but those were our foci. That was what the most important things were. And what we discovered was that a lot of the things the year before or two years before pre-pandemic that we thought were important in the grand scheme of things weren't that important. And so now, as things begin to open up, and hopefully they will continue to open up, what we have to do is what the psalmist is encouraging us to do. So what I have to do when I don't want to get out and run is we've got to remember. We've got to remember what was the most important thing. We've got to remember who we were when we had focus, because if we don't remember, we will forget. So what's the most important things that we need to be doing as a church? What's the most important thing that you need to be doing as a follower of Jesus? And then there's this second facet in what the psalmist is talking about. He says, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand, and there's this, this lovely thing that goes on here in Hebrew. It's, it's like the psalmist is saying, may my right hand stop doing right hand stuff. It's, it's almost like maybe a right hand, and then there's like these ellipsis dots. And so the, the translators translate that as, you know, uh, lose its capacity to do things. But it's like, may my, may my right hand cease to function uh, if, if I don't remember who you are, if I don't remember Jerusalem. May, may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. And so if you think about that, if, if I'm not finding my identity in Christ, if I'm not orienting myself around the most important things that God has for me, basically what the psalmist is saying is, would you keep me from doing or saying stupid things? If I'm not who I am in Christ, then keep my right hand from doing right hand stuff. 
keep me from doing stuff that would be destructive and keep me from saying things. If I'm not walking with you, God, keep me from saying things that are going to be destructive to me. If I forget you, if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget who I am in Christ, please keep me from doing harm to myself or to other people. I think that's a very valid facet of what the psalmist is talking about. But there's also an action step that's implied with that. It begins with a commitment to God to remember. But then we have to do something. We have to put things in place to make sure that we don't go back to the way that things were. I, I was listening to a story about a person the other day who um, just made some bad relational choices. Some trust was broken. Um, if, if I shared with you what, what the full extent of what happened was, most of us would shrug our shoulders and go, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, damage was done, but not the end of the world. And I listened to this story and I thought, the biggest problem with what happened here is that he just needed somebody in his life to say, this path that you're on doesn't look good. I think you need to make another choice. We forget that we can't do it alone. We forget that we're better together. We forget that we need each other. I mean, how many of us would benefit from it if we had somebody who was staying there who before we said or did anything went, hmm, bad idea? That's what we need to remember is that we need to make those kinds of commitments and have those kinds of people in our lives to help us do what we need to do, to be who God has called us to do, to find our identity in him. And then there's this turn in the psalm at verse 7. It changes. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. The Edomites are cousins. They, they were the descendants of Esau. They live across the Great Rift Valley, not far away at all. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. So the, the psalmist is, is really upset here because the Edomites were cousins. They should have come to their help. And instead, it's like they bought popcorn and watched instead as they were destroyed. So the psalmist has gone from help me to remember. And if I don't remember, then bring these things upon me to God, don't you forget don't forget what the Edomites did to us. Don't forget that there are these nations that have rejected you and committed horrible injustice against us. And then from the Edomites, he turns his attention to Babylon. Babylon was the one that carried them off into exile and tried to destroy their national identity. So he's like, so let's not forget about them, God. Verse 8, daughter Babylon doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Bet you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? So those are some hard verses. Psalm 137 belongs to a certain genre called the imprecatory psalms. Uh, to imp uh, an imprecatory psalm is a psalm where you pray bad things against somebody. So... How do you interpret verses like that? Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. How do you interpret that? Well, the easiest thing to do is to just ignore them. But that's not really a legitimate option, I don't think. Our biblical philosophy is to wrestle with the text, not to just 
ignore the things that we don't agree on. We want to wrestle with the text. Now, we can look at cultural conditions and implications. We can look at unique situations in any particular Bible verse or context. We can do a deep dive into the actual meaning of the words and what they meant back then and what they might mean to us now and how those things have changed. We can look at all sorts of things like that. And all of those are fair because all of those things and more means that we're wrestling with the text. We're trying to understand a concept which may be very, very foreign to us or may be difficult for us to understand. It's there because we're trying to understand what God is communicating through that. What isn't fair is to say, I'm just going to ignore it. Now, let's be honest. We all have what's called a canon within the, within the canon. Canon, when it comes to scripture, C-A-N-O-N, uh, means what we accept as the word of God. So the canon is the Old and New Testament. So, so to say that we have a canon within a canon is to say that there's stuff that we pay more attention to than others. And that's just part of the human condition. Um, so, but the difference between having a canon within the canon and just ignoring some of the Bible that we don't like is that we can be open to our blind spots. I mean, there's only so much you can pay attention to, right? And, you know, I, I always say to God, you know, I'm willing to work on anything, but can we just do one thing at a time? Um, but occasionally, you find something that you haven't considered or something that you need to apply to your life or something that you need to pay more attention to. That's why we study the Bible together, because we can help each other see our blind spots. So even though we do have a canon within a canon, most of us, it's different from just ignoring the text. And at the very least, if you're going to ignore something, just be honest and say, I'm just going to ignore this part. So with that, let's take a stab at what's going on in these couple of verses. There are really three possibilities about what this means. The first is that it is uh, about God's justice. Um, and Walt Kaiser, who's a professor of Old Testament at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, I think sums this up really well when he say, they, these hard sayings, are not statements of personal vendetta, but they're utterances of zeal for the kingdom of God and his glory. To be sure, the attacks which provoked these prayers were not from personal enemies. Rather, they were rightfully seen as attacks against God and especially his representatives in the promised line of the Messiah. So it's kind of like we pray bad things against these people because they have rejected God and God's righteousness and God's justice. And that's the overwhelming view of scholars of how to make sense of this text. But then you kind of also got to ask, but what about the New Testament emphasis on loving our enemies instead of praying bad things on them? And that's of critical importance. But God's love can't really be separated from God's justice, nor, when push come to shove, would we want it to be, because we rely on God being a just God. The second thing is that it could be just a very human reaction to pain and suffering. And it's one of the things I love about the Bible. It's got the good, it's got the bad, and it's got the ugly. And I think at this point in time, a lot of us understand this type of prayer. I mean, how many of us, maybe haven't vocalized, but how many of us in our hearts have thought, would it be so bad if someone took Putin out? 
How about a well-timed heart attack? It's kind of that thing. I mean, I just, I can only imagine that there are a lot of Ukrainians who might be praying imprecatory prayers. It's a very human reaction to pain and suffering. And it doesn't necessarily mean that our theology is good or bad or malformed or whatever. It just means in some moments we are human. And this is what we feel and this is what we pray. And God receives our honesty. A third thing is that it might be about perceived victimization. God punished the Edomites. God punished the Babylon down to their children. Now, if you look at the overall context of this psalm, if you look at the, the thinking about exile that we've talked about, we know what got the people of God into trouble. They know what got them into trouble. It, it was their own choices. It was their decision to forget about God and do other things. But maybe there's still a part of them that feels like they were victimized. It's not really my fault. It's Edom's fault. It's not really my fault. It's Babylon's fault. There's still, even with the realization that they did stuff, there's still a sense of, it's not my fault. I'm a victim here. And I think that's worth kicking around for a minute because I'm not making light of suffering. I'm not making light of people who have been victimized far from it. Some of us have faced real suffering. Some of us have been victims of terrible abuse. That's very real. And not all of it is obvious. Some of you have suffered things or been abused by people that nobody else even knows about. And I understand that and I feel for your pain. But not everything that goes on in our lives is tantamount to suffering or abuse or being a victim. I mean, we have social media that gives us a window into people's lives. You are not a victim because Alaska didn't upgrade you to first class on the way home from Maui, thus ruining your vacation. Something I heard somebody complain about on Twitter this last week. If you refuse to stop having extramarital affairs, you are not a victim when your spouse leaves you. You are not suffering because you're not independently wealthy and actually have to get up and go to work in the morning. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes you go out to eat and the, the kitchen gets the order wrong. Sometimes the person at the light ahead of you seems to have fallen asleep when the light turns green. How you choose to respond to those things will tell people a lot about who you are. To choose to return to exile because you didn't really learn any lessons would be really, really tragic. So whether or not that victimization is there, I think it's worth us pondering for just a little bit because it brings us back to that point where we have to realize that oftentimes we contribute to the circumstances in our own lives. It brings us back to the point where we have to remember that we have to keep choosing to find our identity in Christ, not in the circumstances around us. So look for me on the trails around Gig Harbor. I'm out there again doing my best to remember what's important. And I hope you'll do that too. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, what do you need to remember? Number two, what's the source of your identity? And number three, what's the most important thing you need to be doing?